this is week three of our series, What Now?, which is our, our eight-part sermon series uh, looking at the Holy Spirit of God, especially coming out of the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we talked about on Easter. And so the purpose of the series is to continue that story, to continue God's story, that, that even after Jesus resurrects and ascends into heaven, um, there, there's more to that story. And so as I've said in each of the past two weeks, and I'm going to say again, just to either drive home the point or to catch you up if this is your first time hearing in this uh, a lesson from this series, um, you know, we often wonder how great it would have been if we could have just had Jesus with us today. We, we say, what would Jesus do? We wish he was in our back pocket. We wish could, we could pick up the phone and call him or text him. Like that would be awesome, we think. And yet the, the reality I think of that is that it, it is far different than we sort of imagine or build it up in our minds. Because, you know, when, when we actually realize that Jesus was alive and lived on earth and had people around him in much the, the same way that we envision, uh, the world didn't like him a whole lot. Uh, the world didn't like what he had to say a lot of times. In fact, they, off, they plotted to kill him and then actually did so. And so this, this idea that, that things would be so much better if Jesus were here today walking among us uh, is, is not really the reality. And in fact, the second thing I want to talk about is the fact that Jesus' own words were that it was far better for him to leave so that this other comforter, this other advocate, this other counselor or paraclete could come. And so if even Jesus is pointing to the work of another, then it's worth our time and it's worth our effort to understand more about who he is speaking about and how that changes or impacts our walk and our faith journey. And so in the first part of this series, we learned about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, that from the very beginning of Jesus' life, we are told of and prepared in Scripture for the coming of this Holy Spirit. And so we, we learn a lot of things about the Holy Spirit from the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, but there's one common thread that we learn about the Holy Spirit. And this is what we talked about two weeks ago, that the Holy Spirit's entire purpose is to point people to who? Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He points people to Jesus. He says only what Jesus tells him to say. He testifies about Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. That is what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit, especially in the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit is the biggest Jesus fan there is. Like you think you are a big Jesus fan, but the Holy Spirit is so much more of a Jesus fan than you can ever dream or fathom or, be, or begin to, to appreciate. The Holy Spirit likes Jesus more than Kanye West likes himself, right? The Holy Spirit likes Jesus more than fish like water. The Holy Spirit likes Jesus more than Steph Curry likes three-pointers. And how about that second half the other day, huh? Come on now, 33 points in the second half. No, the, the Spirit is all in on the person of Jesus, and his job is to make sure that we are too, that if we don't know Jesus, it's probably not because we haven't been told about him. It's probably because we've chosen to ignore his voice, to reject his ways, and to live lives for someone other than him. And usually that person is who? It's ourselves, right? And so last week we discussed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Coming out of the promise of the Holy Spirit, we moved to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we differentiated that from other kinds of baptisms that people were used to. And I want to take a moment to correct or clarify something I said last week. Because last week, toward the end of my message, I, I sort of casually, flippantly, without thinking about the implications of what I was saying, made a statement 
that we receive John's baptism. And that wasn't what I meant. That wasn't what I was trying to say. That was a misstatement on my part. In fact, my notes from last week read this way. In Acts 19, disciples had received John's baptism for repentance, but hadn't even heard of Holy Spirit. Paul baptized them into Jesus and then laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so when I said what I said, what I was trying to do was affirm our practice of baptizing people in water. That's still a valid thing that we do today, which is something that John was doing in Jesus' day. But I failed to clarify that I was not speaking of, quote-unquote, John's baptism. That was a very different thing. Uh, But rather what Acts would later call being baptized into the name of Jesus. And so Luke uses that phrase or language in four different occasions on Acts. And so while I wanted to simplify the different kinds of baptisms that we come across in Scripture, it's probably worth a little more discussion about what was going on, just so we're clear. And so all of that being said, last week was about a different kind of baptism. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is something that that Luke also mentions on numerous occasions. It was a baptism that both Jesus and John made a point of saying was different than the water baptism that they'd been receiving. It was a baptism that Jesus said would give them power and that they would go and they would be his witnesses with that power to the very ends of the earth. And so, you know, oftentimes when we think about Holy Spirit language or, we, or, or think about the Holy Spirit, we make some assumptions and possibly we make some wrong assumptions that when the believers were baptized into the Holy Spirit of God, what followed were all these crazy miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, but that's not, I don't think, what the Bible seems to be teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at least not out of necessity. That there, that may be something that was, was there and accompanied it, but not necessarily. The Bible says that baptism is a gift that is presented to who? Do you guys remember? All. Say all. Just so I make sure we're all paying attention. The Bible says that the baptism is a gift that is presented to all believers. And additionally, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is spoken of as a seal or as a deposit that guarantees our inheritance of the kingdom of God. It is that thing or that person that allows God to look deep within us, to look at who we are and to see his holiness in our life. That when we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, we have something like the fingerprints of God or the DNA of God. And God has now become part of us. He has saturated us. He has soaked us. And so without that DNA, without those fingerprints of God's presence in our lives, we can't receive the inheritance of the eternal life that is promised to us. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit quite literally, for lack of a better term, is our ticket into heaven, which makes it probably the single most important facet of our faith and our lives. Because without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we cannot truly glorify God. We cannot truly testify about Jesus. And we have no part in Jesus. And so the Bible says that, that Jesus will literally look at us uh, without the Holy Spirit and say, I never knew you. Like, I never knew you. You need to be away from me. So that's how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And so as we get ready to to get into the meat of our message this morning, I want you to keep those two things, those two topics at the forefront of your mind. What was the promise of the Holy Spirit about? What was the baptism of the Holy Spirit about? And so this morning, we're going to open with a word of prayer. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to spend a lot of our time there. I will project it 
But man, we're going to read all of it together. And so I want to encourage you, have a Bible open if you can, if you have one with you or an app on your phone or something, because we're going to read all of that together this morning. But I invite you to stand if you would, kneel, raise hands, whatever you feel called to do. But let's, let's be uncomfortable before God. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit into this place and let's pray to him. Father, we are, we are family. We are gathered together. And we want to glorify you. We want you to be made famous in this place. Father, we believe that your Holy Spirit is alive and it is active in us as followers of Christ. Lord, we believe that we have been baptized with your Holy Spirit and empowered to go and do good works for you, Father. And so we want to do that. We, we want that, that seal placed in our hearts that we are to receive your inheritance and your redemption. Lord, we want to glorify you today. Father, I don't want to speak my own words. I don't want anything I say to be Josh. I want all of it to be you speaking to us and and through me. Father, I pray that you would open our ears and let us hear. I pray that you would open our minds and let us understand. And I pray that you you would open our hearts so that we could be changed and transformed and renewed and, and, and be molded into someone more like Jesus. Father, we have this amazing opportunity to be a light in our community. With our, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our family. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, would move in us and do something to change us and shape us so that we could bring glory to you, Father. We're here today to glorify your name, to raise hands if we feel called to raise hands, to bow our head if we're called to bow our head. And we want to testify about Jesus, that he is alive, he is resurrected, and we are set to inherit his kingdom, Father. And so we just give you praise for that, Lord. We thank you. We ask that you be with us this morning. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. So today's topic is probably the most challenging, at least to me, of this series because it's probably the most interesting chapter in all the book of Acts, at least if, if not the most interesting, the most dense, but I think it's probably the most interesting. I think most people would agree with me. And you think of all these different church traditions and movements that are, are built on a foundation that is laid here in Acts chapter 2. I mean, we think of us as the Church of Christ. I often joke sometimes you could call us the Church of, of Acts 2.38 because, man, that's our soapbox. That's where we love to go and spend time, Acts 2.38, because we want to talk about baptism. Um, and that's a distinctive of ours. And in, in a lot of the same ways, there are other movements, like the, the Pentecostal movement, which emerged in the late 1800s that is hyper-focused a lot on uh, the, the miracles and the wonders and the signs and the the words uh, that were spoken in tongues, and, and they want that, they desire that, they practice it. It's a movement that still believes in God's supernatural work in the world today, that God uses and hears our prayer, and he answers prayer, and he, and he heals the sick and the lame, and he does things that are otherwise unthinkable. Personally, for me, I'm, I'm kind of an interesting case study because I've sort of been a child of both movements. I, I have... I have a background in both movements. I've come to faith and I've matured in my faith in both movements. And so both are a part of me. Both have influenced me a great deal. And so this week we're going to spend a lot of our time looking primarily in Acts chapter 2 and a little bit in Acts chapter 4. And so I want to lead with this disclaimer. It, It is not my purpose as part of this series to break down every facet or every argument or every teaching point that needs to be discussed 
in Acts chapter 2. I have a very specific focus, a very specific set of lenses that I want to explore. And I'm sure I'm going to revisit Acts chapter 2 at a different date with a different set of lenses on down the road. But what I'm most interested in for the purpose of this series is understanding specifically how the Holy Spirit intersects the lives of believers, the the lives of people like you and me. And so as I mentioned a few moments ago, last week's text centered on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as I was preparing to teach this series, I I reached out to some trusted people. I said, look, here's 10 things that, that I could talk about about the Holy Spirit from the book of Acts. And I'm going to preach for about eight weeks. So what are maybe eight of these that you think are, are most important? And one of my friends texted me back and said, you know, it's kind of fun. like, aren't a lot of those kind of the same thing? Aren't a lot of those different topics basically the same? Isn't baptism of the Holy Spirit the same as the gift, the same as the anointing, the same as the filling? Like, aren't these just synonyms for the same basic idea that we, we receive the Holy Spirit and that's it? Like, we, we get that, right? And I bring that up to illustrate the fact that we really don't have a great grasp on the Holy Spirit, do we? Like it's, it's kind of hard to grasp and to understand. And so let me be clear that as we go through this series, I am as much a student as I am a teacher. And so I reserve the right to, to change my mind at a later date if, if God shows me something that I'm not seeing right now. But I'm trying to approach this text with honesty and, and to, to bring out what, what is actually there. That's, that's what exegesis, if it's all about, if you ever heard that word. It's about reading the text as it is, not, not reading into it what you want it to say. And so I wanna share with you what we've learned a little bit about the Holy Spirit this week. Um, but the Holy Spirit, as we think about it, is, is far more nuanced, I think, than we usually make him out to be. What I mean is that the Spirit is not just this canned idea that sort of fits neatly into this box and we just understand, like he's a mystery. The, the Holy Spirit lives in us, but it, it's hard to put into words exactly what that means or exactly how that changes us. Like I know it to be true. I look at my own life and I know it to be true. I know the Holy Spirit has changed me and yet there's so much I don't know. There's so much I don't understand about what the Holy Spirit has done in me. Am I alone in that? Is there anybody who feels like, oh yeah, it's obvious to me what the Holy Spirit does? Or is there anybody else who's kind of like, no, it's, it's a little bit mysterious. Like it, yeah, it's, it, it's confusing to some of us, right? Some people are really confident in that. And so... Today's topic is about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Like, what does it mean to be filled, and how do we understand that in light of the baptism of the Holy Spirit from last week? That that it's common for believers to look at these two terms and to, to assume that they're basically talking about the same thing. And yet, what I'm here to say this morning is, I don't, I'm not sure that's that's the case. And there's a lot of others that agree with me on that. That the filling of the Holy Spirit is, yeah, it's related. But it's, it's sort of a different intersection with the Holy Spirit of God than the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. For example, like we don't hear of the baptism of the Holy Spirit until we get to Acts chapter 2. Throughout the entire biblical account, that is not a phrase that, that I believe that we see anywhere else in Scripture. We don't hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We hear John foretell about it. We hear Jesus foretell about it. We even hear the prophet Joel foretell about it. But it doesn't happen until Acts 2 uh, at Pentecost. Conversely, when you look at the filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, that's not necessarily the case. In in Luke chapter 1, we read about John the Baptist. We're we're told that John the Baptist was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. We read about his mom, Elizabeth. We're told that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We read about his dad, Zechariah. We're told that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And even way back in Exodus, God's speaking to Moses and he tells them that he's chosen this guy named Bezalel. Extra credit if you remember who Bezalel is. And we're told that Bezalel is filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that he can work with gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood in the construction of the tabernacle. Like God has given him his spirit so that he can build this thing the right way and so he can teach other people how to build this thing the right way. The filling of the Holy Spirit has been happening, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit was yet to occur until now. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. We're in Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible open with you, we're going to take as much time as we need to read all of Acts chapter 2 together as a group, as a family. So let's, let's uh, spend some time in God's Word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And these are the 12 apostles. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya uh, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Like we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, yeah, they've had too much wine. So Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. 
I will not be shaken, and therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so here, the apostles are all gathered together one night. And they're in a home. And suddenly they hear this sound. And it's a sound like what? Do you remember? Like wind, right? They hear the sound of wind. And it's filling the house. And they see something like fire that comes to rest on each person in the room. And then we're told that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues. They begin to speak in other languages. And so because it's Pentecost, there are all these Jewish believers that are in Jerusalem at that time. Pentecost is a a Greek word for a Jewish festival called the Festival of Weeks that takes place 50 days after the Passover. And so there's all these Jewish believers from every nation under the sun, and they've converged on Jerusalem at this time. And so because of this festival, um, people hear this commotion and they run over and they hear something miraculous. This is truly miraculous. Think about what what they're hearing. They hear something miraculous. And we're told that these people who were, who've been filled with the Holy Spirit are declaring the wonders of God. And they're doing it in the native tongue or dialect of every person who's there. And just to give you a little example, it would be like me sitting here right now and I'm talking to someone who's a native Spanish speaker or French speaker or German or Portuguese or Mandarin or Japanese or Arabic or whoever. 
and we're all sitting in this room and we're all understanding what I'm saying, but each in our own language. Any Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans in this room? Ever see the movie or read the book? It's kind of like that babble fish, right? MG knows what I'm talking about. You shove this fish in your ear and you're able to hear languages throughout the whole universe. It's kind of like everyone got babble fish shoved in their ears and we can hear everything that's being said in our own language. And so we're told that some people stand up and accuse those people that are filled with the spirit of being what? They're being drunk, right? To which Peter responds, and I love, this is like my favorite scene in the whole Bible. Guys, we're not drunk. Let's not be silly. Let's not be, it's only nine in the morning. You should know better than that. No one's drunk at nine in the morning, right? No. What happens next is key though, because Peter begins to speak from Joel, the prophet Joel, something that this crowd of Jewish believers would really understand well. And he explains to them that even Joel warned them about that the Spirit would come on all people in the last days and they would be witnesses of amazing things. And so he gets to the meat of it. In verse 22, he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And God raised him from the dead, freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We should be shouting amen for that church, but we're gonna keep going on. See, he tells them, he continues from there. He tells them how King David, their, their great king, this king that they, they envy, that they admire, that David even spoke of Jesus defeating death. And then he concludes with these powerful words. He says, therefore, let all Israel, let all of you who are here listening to me right now be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and, help me out, Messiah. That's a huge statement to make in front of all these thousands of Jewish believers. And we're told that people were cut to the heart. They were, they were moved by what Peter had to say. And they asked, like, what do we do? Like, we agree, we believe what you're saying. What do we do about that? And Peter said this, these famous words, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive that seal of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And we're told that of the, all the people who heard that, about 3,000 people came to faith and were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ and received the gift of the Holy Spirit that day. And I want to stop here. I want to kind of back up and look at this text. I want to stop and give us all a moment to gather our thoughts because we've read this text now word for word and then I went back and I recapped it. And I did that on purpose because I want us to be familiar with what we're doing. When the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? What did they do? What happened? Think about this. What did they do? If you could summarize everything we just covered in one basic statement, like one big idea, what did the Spirit of God do through them? And what do you do more specifically do through Peter in Acts chapter 2? And so like we've been doing a little bit, and we've done for the last couple of weeks, I want us all to get into groups of two or three with people sitting around you, and I want you to discuss this question. When the apostles were filled, what did they do? What was God doing in them and through them at this point in time? We're going to take one to two minutes, discuss that with people around you, and then we'll come back and continue to build on what we're learning here. And I, I, all of you kind of touched on various facets of where I want to go. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. Because what's, what's funny 
is that when you actually begin studying, or when I began studying for this series, there was kind of something right here in front of my face that, that I failed to see for a lot of years, maybe because it's so simple, it's kind of embarrassing almost to go, oh, like I missed this really simple thing. And sometimes we just miss the forest for the trees. Like we, we can look at this text and we can get lost going down like a myriad of rabbit holes, right? I mean, just from this text, you read through and all these questions start to pop in your mind. Like, what was the wind? Was it actual wind? What was the fire? Was it actual fire? Like, what were these tongues? Uh, were they other languages or some God language? Like, do we speak them today? Do we not? Does having the spirit make you look drunk? Should I be drunk in the spirit? Uh, should I be prophesying or dreaming dreams or seeing visions? Like, is it okay if I drink as long as it's not nine in the morning? Or, you know, are these the last days? What are the last days? What's the formula for proper baptism? Should I go underwater first and then I'll get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Should I feel something? Uh, and, and when it happens, what if I don't feel something? Did I mean it? Do I, do I need to sell all my stuff and give it away? Like, am I supposed to meet every single day with the church? I mean, all these questions come out of this text, right? And these are all questions that we ask. And some of these are really bad questions. And some of them are really good questions. But these are all these questions and sometimes we stress and we worry and we argue about all of this and this is only from Acts chapter 2. This chapter alone, all those questions and many more come out of this chapter. And yet all along the way, I wonder if we're missing what the Holy Spirit is actually doing here. I wonder if we're missing it. Does that mean that these questions aren't important? No. But it means that, that when the Holy Spirit fills the apostles, uh, something begins to happen. What actually happens? What changes in them? What do we see? And a lot of you touched on various facets of it, but, but Crystal nailed it right on the head. We, we see them begin to speak. We see people begin to speak. And not just speak, we're told that they speak what? What was the word you used, Crystal? They speak boldly. And it almost sounds too easy for it to be that simple. Like it doesn't seem like that should be the thing that that is what the filling of the Holy Spirit is, is about. And yet, when we go throughout the Bible, and more specifically, we go to the New Testament, we begin to see this strange pattern emerge. Like in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, we're told Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. The baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed. What's another word for exclaimed? Speak, right? She speaks, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear and so on and so on. 26 verses later, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. This is in line with what Cindy was saying. In Acts 4, 8, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he says to the people, and I'm going to get to what he says in just a few moments. In Acts 4, 31, we're told that all were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In Acts 13.9, we're told that Saul, who was called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. And he goes on and on and on. But I mean, that, those are some harsh words that people begin to speak, that when the Holy Spirit fills a person, every single time I could find in scripture, this is true, every single time, Every time the, the Holy Spirit fills somebody, they immediately begin to speak. And they speak the word of God. They don't just speak in some generic sense. They speak when it's hard. They speak when it's challenging. The Bible says they do it boldly. And so in Acts 4, 
as I just mentioned a moment ago, the religious leaders seize Peter and John. They're out, as, as Owen just talked about a few moments ago, in Acts 3, they heal a lame guy. And so now the religious leaders come and they seize them while they're speaking and they put them in jail. And the next day they come back and they say, hey, by what authority are you doing these things? Like who's allowed you to do these things? And we're, said, we're told that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit at that point in time. And he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It's like what Ricardo said. They're pointing to Jesus. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so as you reflect on what he just said, if there was one word that you could use to describe Peter's words right here, use to describe his response, what would you use? What word would you use to describe how Peter responds in this moment. Because to me, this is the very definition of boldness. Like he's pointing the finger and saying, hey, you have crucified, you have murdered the Messiah. Like if you were going to use one word, this is bold. This is bold. And so the text says those same leaders, they looked at them and they saw courage. They saw the courage that Peter and John had to say. They understood this was a really difficult thing. And we're told that they were astonished by the courage of what Peter and John had to say right here. They knew it was scary to do what Peter and John were doing. They knew it was brave, but Peter and John said what needed to be said. And so after their release, we're told that Peter and John return to the people. They go back to the church and they tell them what happened. And we're told that the church began to pray. They began to pray and that their prayer concluded with these words. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the text says that after they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God. How? Boldly. Friends, I just want to, want to ask you, raise your hands. <clears throat> If you've ever been confronted with a situation where it was really hard to speak up about something, if you've ever been in that situation where you're like, man, I don't know what to say or how to say it, but man, this is hard right now. Raise your hand if you've ever wanted the courage to tell someone about Jesus and to share God. You're just like, man, I, I wish right now, like I want so badly to point you to Jesus, but I don't have the words. I don't know how to say it. Has anyone ever been there before? Like, yeah, we, we both go through those things and both of those things are extremely hard. They're so hard. And so if we've learned anything from today's message, let it be this, that when we're afraid, what should we pray for? Boldness, right? We pray for boldness. Yeah, strength. That when we're threatened, we pray for boldness. And when something needs to be said, we pray for the boldness to say it. Because when you do that, you might just find that these, what these believers in Acts found, that God's Holy Spirit will fill you and you will speak courageously. You will speak boldly. There's a theological blogger named John Bloom. He wrote a, an article about this. 
He said, boldness is not constant or taken for granted. We must keep praying for it whenever we need it. Even the Apostle Paul experienced this. Boldness is not an option for us, but it's also not a given. Since it is not a constant gift of the Spirit, we must pray for it frequently. And so here's where the rubber meets the road, I think, for all of us as Christians, that sometimes we don't know what to say. Like sometimes we don't know what to do. That's what faith is all about. It's about the courage to trust God when we lack the skill, when we lack the expertise, when we lack the charm or charisma to do it on our own. Like, do we trust God in those moments? Because I've listened to so many Christians, young and old, of all ages, from all walks of life, who've told me they would just do more and say more and teach more if they only knew more. You ever heard that before? Man, I would do more if I only knew more. If they only had all the answers, if they were only more talented or more skilled or more outgoing or more eloquent or more charismatic or more strong or more powerful or had more time or had more money or had more information. We've all heard those excuses. And and I'm here to say, quite frankly, uh, that's nonsense. Because it's usually Christians who are hiding behind insecurities and fear rather than disciples or followers of Jesus who are willing to go with him into the depths. Like we will never ever have enough to feel comfortable. We we will never be smart enough. We will never be wise enough. We will never be charismatic enough on our own. But with God's Holy Spirit, we are enough. We are enough. We are more than enough. And so 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 9, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, you don't have enough, but God will give you enough. At all times, God says we will have more than we need. And that's why when Jesus sent out his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, we call this the limited commission, he sends them out two by two, and he says, when they arrest you, notice there's an expectation that they're going to face trial. There's an expectation that they're going to be arrested. When they arrest you, he says, don't worry about what to say. Don't worry how to say it, because at that time, You will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but who? The Spirit of the Father speaking through you. And so friends, if we're not careful, we can turn our faith into religion. And I'm I'm using this in 2019 terms. I recognize that we have religion, but Scripture speaks to that. But what do I mean by that? Because faith in 2019 terms is about trusting God to do what needs to be done. And religion is about what we do to earn God. We don't earn God, guys. The the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, those moments when our lives intersect with the Holy Spirit of God, is entirely about what God is doing in us. It's never about what we do ourselves. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what God does in us to seal us for redemption, to put his stamp on us, to to claim us as our own. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is what God does in us to empower us for his work. And most of the time that means speaking boldly. Sometimes that means miracles. Sometimes that means speaking in tongues or healing or whatever God deems. But it's about empowering us for his work. And so God wants to empower you. He wants to use you to speak the word of God boldly. He wants you to pray for the courage to face any and all trials. I don't need to ask you if your faith sometimes makes you afraid. I don't don't need to ask you if sometimes you wish you could say more or do more or love more because uh, I I don't need to ask that because it's a fear that plagues all of us. It's It's a fear that plagues me. 
And yet by the grace of God or the power of God's Holy Spirit living in me, sometimes I'm able to act boldly. Sometimes I'm able to speak boldly. Sometimes I'm able to pray boldly. And you better bet that God wants you to live boldly for him too. It's not about you. It's not about your charisma. It's not about your gifts. It's not about who you are in and of yourself. And I want you to look at the person next to me and say, it's not about me. It's not about you. God wants to fill you. And he wants to fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit. He wants to do amazing things in your life. And he wants you to ask him for that power. So let's not make Acts chapter 2 about something other than what it is. Let's not miss the forest for the trees. Acts 2 is about God's Holy Spirit filling the apostles to speak boldly what needed to be said to Jewish believers. That Peter stood up and he told them that they had killed the Messiah. And there was nothing easy about those words. That was only bold courage. It was the power of God speaking through him. God wasn't going to be let a little language barrier get in the way of a message that needed to be shared. So he made sure that everyone could hear that message. And so every person did. And we're told that 3,000 people came to faith, were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, and received the gift of the Holy Spirit that day. They chose to follow Christ. And so as we get ready to close in song, I want to invite you all to stand. I want all of us to stand if we're able. And I want you to grab the, the hand of the person next to you. And we can even join hands across the room here. I would love to see us all just be a family and, and join hands. There was a church that I went to as a kid growing up, and we, we ended every service this way. We would join hands across the auditorium, and we, we would sing Holy Ground, that we are standing on Holy Ground. And I loved that we ended service that way. But as we pray, I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to pray in my own words. I'm going to pray the words that Paul wrote to the, the church in Ephesus. And I, I hope that in light of today's message, these words take on new meaning or new power for all of you. Let's bow our head and let's, let's pray. This is what Paul says to Ephesus. He says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And the church said? Amen. All right, let's stay standing and let's sing.